Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, just a little bit of a uh, preamble to this podcast. Uh, We originally recorded this just after Revolution, around about March, uh, when March Madness was going on, but some other things came up and uh, we weren't actually able to get the episode uploaded. So I've actually gone ahead and uploaded it. Uh, This is actually a two-parter. You'll hear the first part this week, and then you'll hear the next part the following week. So, uh, But I just want to let you guys know, like we had originally planned to do this around March Madness time when you know, it was still relevant and whatnot with, you know, the brackets and everything like that. But things just kind of got out of hand. The The show kind of got away from us for a bit. And uh, so this is a, a backlog episode for you. So, But we still wanted to get it out to you guys um, because we wanted to make sure you guys were able to enjoy the episode and share in the conversation. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and listen to us debate and argue and all that good stuff like we usually do. So uh, enjoy the show. Thanks, guys. Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I'm, of course, your host of the most, the one and only James Shimo, and I am joined, as usual, by my two favorite co-hosts. First and foremost, he is the one and only Brenton McPherson. Brenton, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing awesome. Looking, Been looking forward to this episode to see where this goes. Yep, it definitely was an interesting first round. It's going to be interesting. It's going to get even more interesting. As oh, yeah. Goes. Just be be ready, folks. If you thought it was a nail-biter in the last one, we're, we're going to get down to some nitty and some gritty this time around. I got my coin uh, ready and everything. <laughs> well, let's hope not too many of those pop up this time around. <laughs> right. Uh, but also joining us is the one and only Caramel Mountain himself, Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, what's good, brother? I am good, and yeah, you guys are right. A nail biter would be an understatement, depending on how the last how, on how, on the last episode was. But you know what? I'm still looking forward to this. I always, I'm not gonna say I like having a gun put up against my head, force me to choose what I like. But I like the idea of having myself backed into a corner and determining, like, really narrowing down my options here. So this, I'm looking forward to. Yes, absolutely. But before we get into tonight's festivities, I do have one thing that I want to get out of the way first and foremost. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Over WrestleMania weekend, because again, it has been a little while since we joined you guys, uh, uh, we got to see Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course, back in action for the first time in 19 years. Uh, was really cool to see. And in commemoration of the moment, I went ahead and picked up a handful of El Segundo Brewing Company's Steve Austin Broken Skull American Lager. Um, now, I know they've been doing the Broken Skull IPA for a number of years. I'm not an IPA guy. I'm not really a big fan of hops. Um, but a good lager, like a yingling or anything like that, I'm really, really into. So I was curious to try this one out. So I figured what better way to give a little bit of a review and a taste test and everything than while we're here on stream. So I'm going to go ahead and pop this bad boy open. Uh, come on. Uh, don't break my nails. There we go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, they made those cans a lot more pressurized so they can really yeah, seal Yeah, yeah. I mean, up. well, I'm going to say when you're shipping all the way from California, you kind of have to. So, yeah. all right, here we go. Definitely smells like a, a good lager. It has that yingling-like smell to it, that deep, rich kind of like barley kind of smell to it. So, here we go. Yeah. yeah, if it's an amber color, then yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot of flavor in that one. Tell you what, that is a damn good lager. That is actually <laughs> really, really good. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, definitely that that rich taste that you would expect with a lager, that barley kind of, that flavor, that really rich, deep, like, earthy tone to it. 
And yeah, it, like like I said, if I can compare it, like a Shinerbach or even like a Yingling would probably be uh, right, or even like a a Belgian uh, uh, what is it, a fat tire? I would say would probably be pretty pretty on par with that. But yeah, no, that's that's really really good. I'm actually really glad I ordered a handful of these. Now I don't have to waste you know thirty five dollars worth of beer. <laughs> yeah, now I'm gonna actually. I was curious to see what you're gonna say, so now I'm gonna get online and buy some. So here we go. Well, I'm saying, don't bother. Just meet me up somewhere, and I'll pass you off one of the ones I got. Okay, that's fine too. Saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, we live in the same, we live in the same general area, dude. You know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like why <laughs> is, you might as well. Yeah, because since I'm in California, it's not that hard for me to get that. Yeah, stuff, you can but. you can get these easily. I had to pay like fifty dollars in shipping for these things, so I was like, yeah, so I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I mean, if it's worth it, it's de it's definitely worth it. Yeah, no, and I, like I said, very, very good, very, like I said, very rich flavor, exactly what you'd expect. So, yeah, very glad I, I went the extra mile and I spent the money on that one. So, uh, if y'all are a fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin, especially a good, very good, damn good American lager, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, down one more. Swig a beer for the working man. All right, well, let's get right into it, ladies and gentlemen. This is the second round of our bracket breakdown brawl. Hopefully we're going to get through all the way through uh, to the end of this, depending on how these matchups uh, partnered up. So again, there are four divisions in this bracket. We have the uh, old school or the early days division, as I like to call it. We have the attitude era division. We have the ruthless slash PG division, and we have the AEW division. So all of these are going to be very, very interesting. Let us see. Exactly what transpires here tonight. So we are going to start in the early days bracket. Here we go. First matchup. Hogan slamming Andre versus the WrestleMania ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. I will start off with Ryan on this one. What's Which moment do you think deserves to move on and why? Well, both are, both are definitely equally great moments. Even though Hogan slamming Andre is the more iconic, but on the counts of legacy, I'm going with Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon's ladder match because it is something still referred to this day when it comes with the the gimmick of the ladder match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you look back on the history of everything, like that first ladder match between Razor and Shawn. Granted, it wasn't the first ladder match, you know, in even WWE, if even like wrestling history, but it, I think it was definitely the one that was the most significant in, in establishing the history and the tradition and the legacy of the ladder match. So, um, but uh, yeah, Brenton, we'll go ahead and go to you next. Um, Man, that's a tough one. I mean, with, I mean, Andre and, you know, with, or with Andre getting slammed by Hogan and it's an iconic moment. And so is the ladder match. I mean, it, like, it wasn't the first ladder match, but it was the first televised ladder match. Right. Um, and with it being at WrestleMania, and, you know, it just set the tone for what ladder matches have become today. But I still have to give it to Andre getting slammed by Hogan. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's the first thing you see on the signature for WWE. It has been for years and probably continue, will still continue to be that. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's, it's just such an iconic moment and, you know, in front of 90 plus thousand, you know, 90,000 plus fans, you know, and that happening and Andre getting beaten 
was, you know, a sight to see that, that you know, you didn't think was going to happen. No. Now, you so, do have good points. I will also counter the whole Hogan and Andre in the, in the signature that Shawn Michaels jumping off the ladder onto Razor Ramon for a while has been a part of the WWE gimmick, I mean, signature as well. I mean, oh, yeah. It's no, not there happening. anymore, but it's still there. I'm not trying to say the signature shouldn't be the main reason. I'm just I'm just going to add to mine because, James, I know this falls, unfortunately, this is going to fall into you. So I'm just adding – I'm trying to put more of a fight for Sean and Razor Ramon. <laughs> hey, I, I don't fault you for it one bit. I mean, like you both mentioned, both iconic moments in their own right. Again, Hogan slamming Andre uh, was huge, and it, is, it continues to be a massive part of uh, the WWE, you know, identity to this day. However, I will I will say this much. It would have been one thing if that was the first time Hogan had ever slammed Andre and the first time Andre had ever been beaten in their entire history. Unfortunately, they had wrestled two other matches and Hogan had slammed Andre at least one other time in that in those exchanges. So for that reason alone, for the fact that, it, I mean, it might have been lesser known, but for the fact that it wasn't the first time ever that that actually happened... This was the first ever televised ladder match on a grand stage that, again, has set the tone for not just ladder matches, but for ladder matches between guys who are true workhorses. Like, seeing what those two did and then going on to see stuff like what happened between Eddie Guerrero and Rob Van Dam, like one of their crazy ladder matches, or even, you know, anything with the Hardys and the Dudleys or anything like that. Like, that to me just is far more significant in the long term, like Hogan slamming Andre. Yeah, it was a cool moment still reverberates throughout history, but what were the long lasting effects off of that? Really? You know, Hogan getting, you know, over and over and still being able to use those backstage politics to do whatever the hell he wanted because he was the chosen one. I mean, cool. But I think razor versus Sean in that ladder match highlighted two guys who really knew what to do and really gave them that platform and set up in the long term for other workhorse guys to be able to do the same. So for that reason, I've got to go with Razor and Sean. All right. That is going to move us on now to our next uh, matchup, which is uh, Warrior Squashing Honky Tonk versus the Mega Powers Explode. Uh, we'll start with Breton on this one. Man, that's actually, honestly... It's actually an easy one. I, I have to give it to the Mega Powers Explode. Yeah. Because you the two, you know, you have the two top guys in the company. You pair them up. And you're like, you know, and then you're sitting there and whenever they explode, you're like, oh, man, you know, one of them's got to turn heel. Mm -hmm. Who do you turn heel? They're so, both of them are over like crazy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and heel macho man with that was just perfection. Yeah, pure perfection. And, you know, and throwing Elizabeth in there too, like you know, just added you know, fuels of the fire. It, you know, so I got to give it to the Mega Powers explode. All right, Ryan. You know, everything Brendan said is exactly why I'm also going for the Mega Powers exploding. Now, yeah, Ultimate Warrior, and we did mention before, Ultimate Warrior breaking Honky Talk, squashing Honky Talk Man, was not only a surprise for audiences, but was also 
kind of one way for WWE to get themselves out of a corner of Honky Tonk Man's and Legendary Streak, which still stands to this day. But afterwards, I mean, that's something that, but what, what Warrior did to Honky Tonk Man is unfortunately something we now see every now and then. A wrestler is built up, having this great streak, this great run, and then guess what? Someone comes back, squashes them, and then who? you know what happens. That's Unfortunately, that is a trope WWE goes back to constantly, which is a, a really toxic and negative one. But all the positives that you, we have with the Mega Powers exploding, to be honest, the only negative you could see from that is – the story on how Macho Man goes heel and how you see Hogan kind of getting from very uh, friendly and close to Elizabeth, planning the jealousy season, the Macho Man. That's But that's like a story nitpick, a story negative nitpick. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a great, uh, it, it, even narrative-wise, it's still a great way to show Macho Man turning heel. Instead of having him and Hogan just squash it and go, you know what, man? You're my brother. We're going to keep going with our little run here. We're going to dominate the WWE. No. He's world champion. He's not being respected, and he feels as if he's losing everything around him. So, of course, he's going to go insane. So, mega powers explode. <laughs> okay. Uh, my vote is irrelevant, but I also have gone for uh, the mega powers in this situation. So, okay. Uh, next up. Ron Simmons beats Vader for the WCW title versus Jimmy Snuka's dive from the cage. I'll start with Ryan on this one. Well, I won't, I won't take too long. I will go with Ron Simmons beating Vader for the WCW title. I've already mentioned before why I went with that over the previous pick, over its first pairing. But I do also want to add that it's something that still stands as a good milestone in WCW's early days when it was really building its notoriety, its, its brand, its popularity in those fans. And while Snuka diving off the cage is great, we can now we can now pick we can now make a top 10 hell top 20 list of diving off the cage spots that top Jimmy Snuka's. So yeah, uh, just out of recent ones, uh, Cody Rhodes moonsault against Wardlow a couple of years ago comes to mind. Oh, but then again, also, you got Ray Phoenix jumping off of there for that. You've got Eddie Guerrero's frog splash on the JBL. There's a ton there. Uh, Ryan, we'll go to you next. I mean, honestly, Ryan hit every point that I was going to make. So, I have right. to, you know, yeah, I have to give it to Ron Simmons defeating Vader. All righty, Ron Simmons advances. I would say I can't disagree with any uh, either of you guys on that. Uh, account. Okay. This next one might be a little bit tougher. Uh, we have the debut of Undertaker versus the reunion of Mach and Liz. Mm, you're right. It is tough. Mm, that's yeah. tough. Uh, we're going to start with Brenton on this one. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna give it to the, the debut of the Undertaker. Um, because you have the debut of arguably the greatest WWE wrestler Ever like yeah, you know, and honestly, looking back on, you know, Macho Man and Elizabeth, like you knew it was gonna happen at some point. Yeah, like you knew it was just it, 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 like you're like they're not gonna let it, you know. It like looking back on it, being at the time, probably not, you know. But you know, comparing that to the debut of someone who would become. What you when you think of WWE, you know, like 
the Undertaker. Like he's just synonymous. Like there's no one. There's there was there's never been anyone like him, and there never will be anyone like him. Uh, very very true. So right. I have to give it to the debut of the now Hall of Famer, the Undertaker. Absolutely. All right, uh, Ryan, we'll go to you next. As much as I would, as much as the part of me wants to go for the feel good moment, I also agree with Brendan. I too will go with the debut of the Undertaker because looking at the looking at both of the uh, just looking at both of them, you have this you have the beginning of one wrestler's uh, career, while Macho Man and Elizabeth reuniting is kind of like the end of of one's career, at least in the WWE sense. Because I think after that, Macho Man went to uh, the the commentary desk afterwards. Yeah. So and also it was a retirement match. Now even though it's a great cap, a great moment, Macho Man Lucy goes out. Even though he lost the match, but he still goes out being he goes out on top, reuniting with the love of his life. Great cap, great fairy tale ending for his a great uh, bookend for his story. Undertaker's yeah. debut. We've met. We've talked about this off off the off you know off recording during recording. That could not that could have not have worked. In all honesty. So I will go with the debut of the Undertaker. Yeah, considering he debuted on the same show as the Gobbledygooker, yeah, it could have gone sour really, really quickly. Oh but, my God! Don't even bring that. In, but instead, we got the career of one of the most dynamic, one of the most charismatic, and one of the most prolific performers that we have ever seen in the pro wrestling business. Um, so yeah, uh, I would I would have gone with Undertaker's debut as well. Uh, much love to Mach and Liz. Rest in peace, yeah. of course, to both. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason he had a 30 year career and, and became a hall of famer is because he freaking earned it. And not only did he earn it from the fans, but he earned the respect of every single person in that locker room across promotions, regardless of whether you were an AEW guy, whether you were a TNA guy, you know, an NWA guy, a new Japan guy, you know, and you respect the name Mark Calloway, AKA the undertaker. Mm -hmm. All right, we move on now to the Attitude Era bracket. We have the Corporation's Beer Bath versus the Montreal Screwjob. <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, uh, Ryan, the task of first, uh, first at bat lies with you. Well, this is... Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about one of the greatest moments in kayfabe with, you know, the, the beer bath of the corporation and this and that. Whereas one of the greatest moments to ever break kayfabe in the Montreal Screwjob. So it's it's tough. Uh, I'm trying to honestly, it was one It was already leaning towards one end once you announced that pairing. I was just trying to find some reasons. And even though I have plenty it still can't eclipse the Montreal screw job. So I have to go with that one because well, I don't have to say because the Montreal screw, screw job speaks for itself. Either you've seen the, um, oh my God. The, the, what the, 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 the series. Um, Dark Side of the Ring. Yes, Dark Side of the Ring. Either you've seen Dark Side of the Ring or Beyond, not Beyond the Map, but other inner. Person with uh, Shadows was the one you were thinking of. Yes, thinking those. Yeah, those two mostly. I was thinking of those two. 
But you've seen those two documentaries, or you've seen how it affected both companies, WCW, it affected both WCW and WWE, and how Bret Hart for the longest time had been very bitter until finally he was willing to bury the hatchet. Just the real life, the, the, the real life and kayfabe implications that one moment did. It all speaks for itself. So Montreal Screwjob. Okay. Uh, Brenton, we go to you next. I mean, as great as the beer bath was, the Montreal Screwjob was real. There was no faking that nothing about that was fake. Mm-hmm. And there'll be people out there, oh, no, all wrestling, you know, all wrestling's fake. No, that, that shit happened. There was no kayfabe in that. Watch Dark Side of the Ring. You can see there's no kayfabe in that. Mm-hmm. So I have to give it to the Montreal Spear job. All righty. Montreal advances. We move on now to uh, a battle of Foley moments here. Uh, Mick Foley's fall from hell in a cell versus Mick Foley winning the WWE title. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brenton, we start with you on this one. As much as I would love to give it to Foley falling off the hell in a cell, it's now, it's, it's happened more than once. Not just with Foley, You've got Shane falling off of it twice. Um, Rikishi being choke slammed off of it. Granted, it was into a truck bed full of hay and all hay and crap, crash pad. Still being thrown off the top of a cell. You know, it's happened more than once. Mm-hmm. But seeing somebody like Mick Foley win. The, the WWE or at the time WWF championship be becoming the top guy and with that that moment turning the tide of the Monday Night Wars in the favor of the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. You know and that was the downfall. WCW with them announcing that just destroyed them completely. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the quote from Tony Schiavone? That'll put butts in seats. Well, it did. So it did. Looks <laughs> on you. You know. So I have to give it to, you know, Mrs. Foley's baby boy. Mm-hmm. Daddy right. O, Daddy O did it. You know, I got to give it to Mick Foley winning the World Wrestling Federation Championship. All righty. We go to Mr. Ryan Payne next. Ryan, your pick. Brent practically covered everything I thought of between those two moments. Um, yeah, if WWE wasn't so hell bent on trying to recreate that moment, especially, I would say that I were more lean towards McFoley and Hell in the Cell. But yeah, the WWE champ, but the WWF championship and fully winning it, as Brent said. It turned the tide for the company. It took what was going. It's it went from. I mean, sure, eighty three weeks. WCW was on top, but if Foley had not won it, I'm pretty sure WCW would have still continued to dominate in the ratings. 
But even then, fully winning that showed that W that Vince, despite whether he wanted to or not, whether it was the guys in the back that convinced him to put that belt on him, him winning that championship spoke volumes, meaning that you don't need to look like The Rock. You don't need to look like Triple H. You don't have to look like or Stone Cold Champion. So, yes, it is fully winning the championship. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you guys are coming from. Uh, the fall, well, you know, it is significant that that happened, and, you know, the damage that Mick sustained during it is – Certainly nothing we can we can sneeze at. Uh, no, the the more significant moment is the turning point in the Monday Night Wars when Foley wins the title. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've got no qualms letting that move along uh, at all. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup, which is the Stone Cold Bret Hart Double Turn versus Milko Mania. Uh, and Ryan, we're going to you first on this one. The double turn. The double turn. Now, uh, that's my choice. I, I'd love to say more, but just like with the uh, Montreal Screwjob, this also speaks, it also speaks for itself. You just, you have to watch the match, learn a little bit about the rivalry going into it, just seeing the stipulations involved. The fact that this was a submission match and uh, it, it, it was a, like one of those gimmick matches to where they didn't have to focus on pinning. And I love the fact how it changed to the, the trajectory of two suit, of two wrestlers. All right. Brenton? Yeah, I've got to give it – they got to give it to the double turn. Um, like I said in the previous podcast about, the, you know, when we started this bracket, you know, I said in my personal opinion that is – I think that is the best WrestleMania match ever. And that's just me. That's just me. But that double turn, like Ron pointed out, you know, it changed the career, you know, the especially Stone Cold. You know, and so I have, yeah, I've got to give it to the double turn. All right. The double turn advances. All right, and our final matchup in the Attitude Era bracket is the arrival of Crow Sting versus the arrival of the NWO. We're going to Brenton first on this one. As much as I love the NWO, I got to give it to Sting. All right, short, sweet, to the point. Just short, sweet, and to the point. I've got to give it to Sting. I mean, when you think of WCW, you think of Sting. Yeah. I mean, at least I do. A lot of people do. Some people think of Ric Flair. Others think of Sting because those two were literally the the two biggest pillars in that company for the longest time. Yeah, I've got to give it to Sting. All right. All right, Ryan, you're up. Probably the hardest decision I have to make, but um, I'll be short and sweet on this one. I also give this to Crow Sting. 
as much as the NWO changed the 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 direction of WCW from where it was going, Crow Sting was the best was the perfect counter to the NWO. Just mm-hmm. like just like NWO brought attention to WCW, building out this cool stable, but even then. The whole WCW versus NWO thing, it was already being telegraphed. The more guys were being brought into either side, the more battle lines were being drawn. Sting being that neutral ground, sure, he was on the side of WCW, but I love the mystery of you really have no idea who he whose side he's on. Sure, he hates the NWO, but at the same time, he wasn't always there to back up WCW guys. He just he was there to always equalize, you know, even the odds, equal the playing field. But then afterwards. WCW guys probably wouldn't even go near him, or he would not go near them. So, Crosting is going to be my choice because also, Crosting was my draw into WCW. Not although my personal pick, my personal bias is not factoring in on this because even afterwards, you removed Sting from the NWO, or you took you take Sting away from the storyline. Look what happens. The NWO kind of just runs over, runs wild over WCW. And it gets too overblown too fast. Crosting, he had great moments when you paired him against wrestlers. All right, fair enough. Uh, personally, I would have gone for the debut of the NWO because, again, the seismic shift that that really signified for the Monday Night Wars and this, that, and the other, and what it did. But, I mean, I got to go with the popular vote here. So, yep, uh, Crosting advances. All right, we move now into the Ruthless PG era. Hmm. First matchup, CM Punk's Pipe Bomb versus Rock Hogan at WrestleMania. We're going to start with Ryan on this one. Well, I'm going to go with Rock and Hogan. Even though they redid that again, I still say that first moment. I remember watching uh, WrestleMania, watching that WrestleMania. I begged, oh, personal bias is coming in here. But even then, actually, per, how, you can't help a personal bias coming into this because it was such a great moment. Two wrestlers of their of representing two different generations, popular, charismatic. I mean, more on the rock side. But even then, both of these wrestlers, a dream match that maybe will have done off of video games or through their own kind of like. Uh, Fan art or get art, you know. So it was something that we wanted. Most people would prefer Stone Cold and, and Hogan, but Rock and Hogan was still great too. All right, one vote for Rock Hogan, Brenton. All right, if we're going bias. <laughs> you yeah. know my opinion. Yeah, I already. I think I already know your vote. So all right, it my comes bad. down to me here. Here's the thing. Both are two very, very significant moments in wrestling history. I mean, you have two of the most charismatic wrestlers of their day going at it in a generational battle. But then you also have what got a lot of people, especially in the early 2000s, or 2010s, I should say, to get back into wrestling. There are a lot of people who nowadays would not be watching wrestling if it weren't for CM Punk. At the same time, there are a lot of people back in the 80s and even the 90s and early 2000s who wouldn't be watching wrestling now 
if it weren't for Hulk Hogan and it weren't for The Rock. So, uh, and I know this is going to, I'm, I'm literally caught between a rock and a hard place here, but as far as a significant moment, you can't really get more significant than a massive WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan turning babyface again after being gone for so long and being part of the NWO. I mean, that's a moment. Don't get me wrong. The, the pipe bomb is a great moment. It truly is. But you want to talk about, uh, yeah, people will ask, hey, where were you when CM Punk you know, cut his infamous pipe bomb? But a lot more people are going to say, hey, where were you when, the, when Hulk Hogan faced The Rock in the ring for the very first time? So I've got to go Rock Hogan. I'm sorry, Brenton, but it, it is. No, it is. no. I mean, that, I mean, I, you know, I can see where you're coming from, but just being uh, a CM Punk mark, I'll be honest. Right. I mean, well, yeah. I, I got to give it to my boy. Hey, hey nice 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 all right, all right. We move we on now. On now. Uh, 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 can you mute your mic because I'm getting a lot of feedback on my end. All right, let me double check it out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was getting a lot of echo on your end, so that's okay. We'll go ahead and. All right, so let's move ahead to our next matchup, which is Sexy Kurt versus the Benoit Eddie Guerrero moment at WrestleMania 20. We'll start with Brenton on this one. I got to give it to Eddie and Benoit. Two best friends who literally started around the same time were in, honestly, the same promotions for most of their career together. And with both of them, with the, the biggest show of the year, you know, with... Eddie walking in as WWE champion and walking out as WWE champion and Benoit finally getting the world heavyweight championship, two best friends walking out of the biggest show of the year out of Madison square garden, the world's most famous arena. Exactly. And as world champions, seeing them embrace and seeing the tears come, you know, you know, that was, that was just a, such a surreal moment. Seeing two guys that you know, two of the greatest wrestlers ever, you know, seeing their careers come full circle and them finally reaching the top of the ladder and being the top guys in the company. Yeah, all righty. Uh, Ryan, we move on to you next. Um, yeah, I'm also going to give this one to Eddie and Benoit. Now, obvious for obvious reasons, that moment is no longer part of WWE uh, history packaging. But still, everything what Brenton said, especially at that time around 2004. I mean, I mean, looking at the circuit, looking at what it was, Benoit had been building himself up as a very not just a great technical wrestler, but he's becoming more and more of a competent. Uh, a competent, reliable guy to work with in the ring to where his overall charisma and presence in the ring won fans over. And Eddie Guerrero having to be the guy coming back from an recovering addict from an addiction that cost him his family, his job, and friends, being able to do the work 
come back, get his family back. A great redemption story. Him winning the championship. And then having both of these two men, life, like as Brendan said, lifelong friends who, who worked to worked in the same companies together, who's wrestled each other over thousands of times, and seeing the tear tearful moment between the both of them. It's something that a lot of companies want a lot of companies try to recreate in top, but it was just some it was something that was just pure. Yeah. All right. And yeah, I would have obviously gone for that moment too. And it is a shame that that moment will never be acknowledged again on WWE television. But yeah. like you said, it's for obvious reasons. So can't exactly argue with that one. Okay. Next we have the rise of TNA and Ring of Honor versus All In. We're gonna start with Ryan on this one. Sorry, a little bit of that background kind of started to affect my end as well. What was the first one? Uh, TNA and Ring of Honor, like the development of TNA and Ring of Honor versus huh. All In. Okay, that's also a hard choice. Um, to be honest, we would not have. I have to be honest, All In would not be possible if the Bucks and Cody didn't make their names in Ring of Honor. So, I mean, even though I can compare both of them, even at the same time, Ring of Honor, before it got bought back up again by AEW, it was something that bred great wrestling talent, brought in pure wrestling fans. TNA was meant to be a great alternative as well. It uh, stumbled at times. It fell, went, changed hands, but even if it rebranded itself as Impact, it is still going. So I'm leading to both TNA and Ring of Honor. Okay. Uh, Brenton, let's go to you next. I mean, Ron hit all the points that I was going to make. Um, you know, in all, in all honesty, if it wasn't for Ring of Honor, you know, there wouldn't be All In. Because a lot of the talent on All In were Ring of simple. Honor talent. Plain yep. and simple. Yeah. So I got to give it to them. All right. TNA and Ring of Honor advance. All right. So the next one that we have here, it's, this is the final matchup in the Ruthless PG era bracket. We have the Lita Trish main event from Monday Night Raw versus the introduction of the Broken Hardy universe. We will start with Brenton on this one. As much as I would love to give it to Trish and Lita main eventing Monday Night Raw, I have to give it to the Broken Universe because it reinvented Matt Hardy and he became, for the longest time, the most talked about wrestler in the business. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yep. So I have to give it to him. All right, Ryan. I'm actually on the opposite end because I'm going for Lita and Trish. Um, 
I, as much as I don't want to rant too much, so I will try to do my best to stay contained within a minute here, as I say. And I most like, and I don't want to retouch on everything I said from the preview when, when we advanced it from the last bracket. But it's right there. First, one of the first women, first the women, the main event Raw in a long time. I mean, sure, we got Sasha and Charlotte in the main event Raw decade a decade later. But even then, that first moment is still a stand. It's still at the pinnacle of where we where we all should believe that women's women's wrestling should be, or we would like it to be. And also, I mean, Trish, Lita, starting off with valets, doing the work, getting re- getting rewarded for that work, and it's for, and then putting on a great match. Sure, there were some ugly spots, but still. That is a match I would still prefer anybody, whoever has questions about women's wrestling, to watch those two go to work and see exactly that. You don't need to always, you don't need to be a a 10-year or 12-year veteran. Sometimes you just need to, you know, know, you should be around the ropes for maybe a couple, three to five years. Or if, if you're that good in the ring and you have great coaches behind you, you can put on a great match like that. Yeah. Um... This again, this is a difficult one because I love, love the broken universe. I love Broken Matt. I love Brother Nero. I love Senior Benjamin. I love Vanguard One, Queen Rebecca, King Maxwell, all of that stuff. But at the same time, when you look at for the time period in which these two ladies were at their peak, most women's matches, number one, didn't main event a uh, a television show B didn't go much over what five minutes if that and number three usually involved pudding or water balloons or stripping or lingerie mm-hmm. or anything like that so around that time to really put some respect back into women's wrestling by letting these two ladies go and actually work and show what they could do not sexualize them and you know objectify them in the way that they usually did their female talent at the time i've got to give it to trish and lita because that granted the matt hardy being able to break out of his brother jeff's shadow and finally prove that he had what it what it took and arguably still has what it takes to be the star to be the main event guy to be the one that you can that can carry the company is huge but Again, to give these ladies an opportunity to do what we what we secretly hoped they could do and to prove it and to do it in a time period where all of the ladies were who were, you know, being made into wrestlers were basically being picked out of fitness and bikini catalogs. Mm-hmm. That just seems a little bit more significant to me. So I'm gonna go with Lita and Trish. Alrighty. Now we move into the AEW bracket. All right, we're coming down to the final quarter of this. And then hopefully we should be able to run through these last little, uh, last few quite easily. All right, here we go. We have to start things off the return of CM Punk versus the initial AEW press conference. We start with Ryan. Well, I'm going with the initial AEW press conference because, like us, it's the announcement of something brand new. 
And despite how AEW could have gone through its first year, we could not have gotten CM Punk to return if we didn't see how well AEW did during its first year. And also with the announcement of that press conference, it's them making it official that this isn't just something that we're just going to make a joke of on our vlog. This is legit. This is happening. And we are looking to bring talent and wrestling back to the fans. So I'm going for the press conference. Okay. Brendan. I do. I mean, I got to give it to Punk because it brought back. I mean, I, I still love pro wrestling, but it took it brought my love back even more for it because my favorite wrestler came back. And I mean, initially, you know, AEW, from what I'd heard, it, it tried to get him on numerous occasions. I mean, hell, AEW was a thing, and he went to, he worked with Fox on WWE backstage for a little bit. But to see him finally come back and actually be a performer, I think that, you know, that really, it, it you know, it's, it shocked everybody that, you know, they're like, CM Punk's returning to wrestling. You're like, what? And it was one of those things you wouldn't believe it until you saw it. I knew I wouldn't. And then it happened. Okay, so, yeah, I uh, I agree. Like, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong, like, the AEW press conference was a significant moment. It absolutely was. But the, the emotion that came from that CM Punk return, grown men brought to tears because the, the paragon of everything they believed in in pro wrestling had finally made his return and had finally given that patience that they had in the seven years that he was gone. You know, to see all of that and to get that catharsis from a lot of people. Like, I, there were grown men in the arena crying. There were reactors watching to, watching it at home who were crying, who were getting emotional about it. So how can you discount the significance of something that brings out that level of emotion into it in a pro wrestling fan? So for that reason, I've got to go the return of CM Punk. All right. Next up, we have Kota Ibushi winning the big one at Wrestle Kingdom versus Brody Lee as the Exalted One. We're going to start with Brenton on this one. As much as I love Kota, got to get Brody. Right. And because someone who is so underutilized in WWE to see them to see that person leave that company and then come straight into AEW and be one of the biggest stars within the company and and is given the opportunity to show what he can really do and to give him the freedom to do what he wants to do so I you know and reinvent himself. 
you know. So I got to give it to Brody. All right. Ryan, your turn. Okay. Um, I want to give this one to Brody as well. Mostly on look, no, look. As much as I love Kotobushi finally capturing the belt and being the guy for a while, even wrestling when he was injured. At the same time with Brody Lee, we did, but but then also, I mean, you can take the whole thing of yeah. Also, New Japan really overlooked. They they under they they underappreciated. They overlooked and really overutilized Kota throughout their entire promotion. To where so many people kept asking, why is he still there? If he's gonna leave New Japan, like when during the time when the AEW was happening, they thought he would jump ship, but he chose to stay, and that faith was rewarded. But but at, but with Brody as well, and it just proved him becoming the exalted one, running with that gimmick, just showed exactly how great wrestlers can, how creative, how talented they are. If you're just able to give them something, possibly have them run with it, put a little bit of themselves into it, maybe even choose the people they want to work with. And you get gold out of it because Brody Lee becoming the exalted one wasn't just a great a refreshment, a rejuvenation for him, but it did so much wonder for the Dark Order. We've already we already talked about this before, but the Dark Order would probably still be floundering about the card as just another bad guy group if it wasn't for Brody coming in and choosing to work his character the way it is. I know we're probably rehacking some same stuff. We've talked. We've talked about with Brody Lee in past episodes, or even in a past bracket regarding that moment. But it just it needs to be reminded that now with even and the way AW handled Brody Lee, how they treated Brody Lee, and his legacy is still there with the company. Yes, Brody Lee becoming the exalted one. Alrighty, Brody Lee advances. Yeah, much as I love Coda. Uh, like we said, you know, Brody Lee not only revitalized his career, but about six others as well. So kind of can't argue with that one. All right. The next up, we have Kofi Mania versus the Firefly Funhouse match, Bray Wyatt versus John Cena. We're going to start with Ryan on this one. I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys might go another way, but... I'm saying Kofi. I'm going Kofi Mania all the way. Okay, uh, Brenton. To see someone who is underutilized, underappreciated, and work their ass off for so many years to finally reach the top. And not only reach the top, but reach the top on the grandest stage of them all and win the WWE Championship, Kofi Mania. Yep. Now, I was I was going to go with Kofi Mania as well. Much as I love the Firefly Funhouse and the takedown of, you know, John Cena, you know, wrestling's golden boy. Like, if you want to know my opinions on Kofi Mania and why I, why I voted for it, go back and watch the video of MVP and Shad reacting to that moment in a bar 
just that that there encompasses the whole thing. So Kofi Mania for me all the way. All right, and that brings us to our last matchup in the AEW era bracket. We have the introduction of the Jericho Cruise versus the rise of the Tribal Chief. We will start with Brenton. As much as I love the Jericho Cruise, and I'll be on it next year, third one, I'll be on it, three out of four. So I love, 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 love the Jericho Cruise. I met you guys on the Jericho Cruise. I've met other guys. I've met other friends I have now on the Jericho Cruise. But I have to give it to Roman. The reinvention of himself from the big dog to the tribal chief, you now can take him seriously. When he was the big dog, if he would have been champion for as long as he is has been if he was the big dog I'd have flown to Greenwich Connecticut and shit all over Vince Man's desk. Stanford, Connecticut. Stanford, whatever. <laughs> Where the hell is stupid ass office is at? But now I get it. I understand. It makes sense. And it, get, it makes you wonder, it's like, who's going to dethrone him? Which is a whole other topic. Yeah, I'm going to stay consistent of who it should be, but we'll get to that in another episode. But I have to give it to the Tribal Chief. Never thought I'd say it, but I have to give it to Roman. All right, Ryan. Yeah, I love the Jericho Cruise, and... But I'm also going to give it to Roman as well, because... um. Brenton Brent mostly laid it out there. Roman coming back. If Roman had came back at SummerSlam during the Fiend and Braun Strowman's match, and he was just the big dog again, he, people would people would once again be going to WWE and saying, you have missed the mark once again. You just don't get it. Roman does not have to be the hero to us. And the only time, and actually there were only two moments when Roman was the hero to everybody. When Seth betrayed the Shield, and when he came back from his remission in cancer. Those two moments. Other than that, nobody liked the fact that he was being made to be shoved down our throats as the John Cena heir apparent. But now as the tribal chief, you can not only build a great story behind him, but we do see what the great story that, that went through. Him in his feud with the Usos. Jay Uso at first. Then with Jimmy coming back in. The formation of the bloodline. To him going against great wrestlers. I mean, do I like the fact that he's, he's had a chokehold on this championship? No, but that works as his heel character. And it continues. Mm -hmm. So the moment he is... So, and it makes it that much better. So when the moment someone does take that belt off of him, let's hope... That they try, that they give Roman a direction that's going to be great, not only for his character, but great for WWE moving forward. So you want to see him back on top. Yeah. So Roman, that's the tribal chief. All right. To, uh, to paraphrase the tribal chief, you know, as well, acknowledge him. You know? All right. 
we move on now. We are down to the Sweet 16. Here we go. Back to the early days bracket we go. We have Razor Ramon versus HBK versus the Mega Powers Explode. We start with Ryan. I'll be short and sweet. Mega Powers Exploding. Both met, both are great, but that it led to a great storyline for both wrestlers. Uh, I, 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 there's not much else I can say about it. So it's the mega power. That's my pick. All right, Brendan. I'm just gonna swerve it a little bit. We'll go with the ladder match. Okay. All right. So it's down to me. As much as I love Sean and Razor. The, the, we slag off, and I say we as the wrestling community collectively slag off on WWE for not booking long term stories anymore. This is one of the times where they had a very, very long term story in place from when Ted DiBiase got the million dollar, or not the million dollar title, but the WWE title for Andre. They stripped the title from Andre, had the whole tournament at WrestleMania 4 with Savage coming out on top. Then the entire Mega Power storyline, the implosion, all of that with Miss Elizabeth leading up to WrestleMania 5, where Hogan and uh, Savage had the blow-off. Again, a year-long-plus storyline. And arguably one that they haven't really done before that point and really haven't done, at least not well, since. You know, they've had other long-term stories in place, like the long-term rivalry between Sean and Brett. That was huge. The long-term rivalry between Stone Cold and The Rock. Those were elements that were always there, but they never necessarily had a consistent through-line arc all across the board whenever it came to those rivalries. So just for, again, the patience and everything else that had to go into it, I'm going to give the nod here to the Mega Powers. All right, next up we have Simmons beating Vader versus The Undertaker's debut. We're going to start with Brenton on this one. Make it short, Taker's debut. Okay, Ryan. Well, I'm going to flip on this one, guys. Simmons beating Vader. Uh, okay. Uh, this is tough. Yeah. This is... Uh, wow. What was Eric Carvin's line? You're breaking my balls here. Because literally, you have one of the most significant moments in wrestling history. The first... African-American WCW champion being crowned versus the debut of, once again, the most prolific and well-respected performer that we've ever seen. I hate this. I hate everything about it because... Uh, you know what? I hate it. I hate it, but I'm going to do it it's anyway. Coin flip. Coin time. Yep. I hate, I hate that I'm the one who has to re has to be reduced to this, but yeah, it's time for a coin flip. I know. All right. 
Heads, Simmons beats Vader, Tails, Taker's debut. Yep. Uh, so Ron Simmons advances. Heads. <laughs> yep. Heads. So, yep. Ron Simmons beating Vader advances. Again, no disrespect to The Undertaker. This was a tough, tough call. Yeah. All right. Now we move to the Attitude Era bracket. The Montreal Screwjob versus Mick Foley's first title win. Freaking hell. Ryan, you're up first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mrs. Foley, but I'm going with the Screwjob. All right. Brenton. Screw job. All right. No need for deliberation there. Screw job advances. All right. So uh, next we have the Austin Hart double turn versus Crow Sting. Oof. Brenton, you're up first. <sighs> yeah, he's really struggling with this one, folks. Hold on. <laughs> Here we go. Coin flip time again. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, now it's starting to get rough. Yeah, and I would say it's, start, it's starting to get tough now. Yeah, now it's starting to suck. We're down to the nitty and the gritty and everything in between. All right. Best two out of three. Heads, double turn, tails, sting. We go. All right, first flip. All right. Second flip. Oh fuck. Okay. All right. Here we go. Third flip. Uh, like double turn it is. All right. The Austin Heart double turn advances. All right. Wait, All right. I'm sorry. No, the, his vote was for the Austin Hart double turn. So now it's down to you, uh, Ryan. Well, James, I really hope you don't flip again because I'm going for Crow Sting. Um, and the reason, and here's my reason I love both Austin and Sting. But Crow Sting, Crow Sting was in what the, the debut of the Crow makeup for Sting was right in the early opening stages of Sting showing up in face paint. Because at first, when he showed up in that face paint, he was still talking, being himself. But then him in the Crow Sting, that was the full evolution. Like, Sting in that little half black and white face paint, that was him, like in a metamorphosis of his character. The Crow Sting was his evolution into the whole long arc of him not saying a word, captivating audiences. Austin... He was already – Austin 316 was already born around that time before the double turn. He was – because at that time he was a heel. So he was a heel going throughout his most of his career after he dropped that ringmaster gimmick. The double turn was pretty much meant for – in a storytelling that was WWE in a, a chokehold by the fans to make Austin popular, the WWE – so that turn, double turn, was a way to make him popular as a baby face. Not – these are – neither of these are negatives. But if we look at just the planning of where the direction both these characters are going to go, Crow Stings is just a little, it's just higher, in my opinion, over 
the double turn for Austin and Brett. All right. Man. Okay. Here's what I will say. Everything that you just said about Sting is 100% on point. I will give you that. Here's the thing with me, though, with the Brett Austin double turn. Having him in the sharpshooter, gushing blood, refusing to tap, rather to pass out than to lose his dignity by tapping out. That's how much he needed to win that match. The significance of the stakes in that match of either guy having to tap out and Stone Cold just refusing to. Yes, he was a badass by all measure at this time. But by the same token, just that much more so by refusing to tap, by refusing to give Bret Hart the satisfaction of making him tap out at WrestleMania. And especially considering how injured he was prior to that match. Because yeah. Stone Cold was legit injured before that match was set to go on. Thankfully, he healed up within enough time. But all of that factored together, I got to give it to Austin Brett. All right, we now move to the ruthless PG era. We have The Rock versus Hogan at Mania versus Benoit Guerrero at Mania. Hmm. This is going to be an interesting one, but Ryan, you are up first on this one. Well, as I said, my back's against the wall, and damn. <sighs> yeah, like I said, these ones are these ones are starting to get tough. Having this going, really, really going through all of our arguments, and we can make more. Here's why I'm going to go with Eddie and Benoit. If WWE did not do a Hollywood, did a Hogan Rock 2 match, it would have been a great standalone on its own that would have been hard to touch. That's going to be, this is going to be my argument why I'm picking Guerrero and Benoit over that. Okay. But also at the same, but also I'm also going to re, uh, reinforce that these are two technical wrestlers, two men who are not high flyers, they're not in the WWE style of wrestling. They have wrestled everywhere around the country. They know how to captivate audience through the storytelling of wrestling. Um, and as said earlier on, just seeing these two men hug felt like a culmination of all of their hard work paying off. So that's my choice. All right, Brenton. I got to give it to Eddie and Benoit as well, just for the simple fact with The Rock and Hogan not happening just one time. If it happened just once, I would have ended up, I would probably have to give it to them. But since it happened a second time, understandable. I have to give it to Eddie and Benoit. Of course. Okay. Next up, uh, the rise of TNA and Ring of Honor versus Lita and Trish's main event. Oh. Brenton, you're first. The pain on these two men's faces. You folks at home have no idea. 
I mean, with Ring of Honor and TNA, it helped build up careers for so many people. But like you all said prior with Trish and Lita, it showed that women can have an awesome wrestling match and it doesn't have to involve pudding or whatever the hell else you want to put in there and make it look stupid and unimportant. (laughs) So I have to give it to Trish and Lita. Okay. Ryan. I'm also going to Trish and Lita because the difference between here's the one big thing as much Ring of Honor TNA, they have built themselves up. One of their downsides was at least during Ring of Honor's longevity and even with TNA's longevity. And it's nothing against them, but of course, they didn't have any solid women wrestlers. But even then, when they did get women's wrestling, they made a focus on women's wrestling. But I've not seen a women's – I don't think so far with Ring of Honor I've seen a women main event their shows. From what I know, from what I know, I don't have access to their library or when – actually, no. Them doing the women's – getting their first women's championship wasn't even until, like, the 2010. So, yeah, it's hard to find that one out. So, um, and with TNA, they have pretty much done WWE and WCW of booking and dropping with their division. Even though, at the time, knockouts was better than the PG era of women's wrestling in WWE. But compared there, but if I want, I'm sorry, I'm trying to make more and more reasons, but I'm trying, I'm I'm picking Lena and Trish because it is still something that it is still something I love to watch and rewatch, and it's something hopefully when women's wrestling becomes better, we'll have more moments in women's wrestling if we ever come back to this, so we don't have to use Lita and Trish as just another template. Mm-hmm. All right, Lita and Trish advance. All right, we now move into the AEW bracket for the last two matchups in this round. The return of CM Punk versus the exalted one, Brody Lee. Ryan, we start with you. I may be outvoted again. I'm going with Brody Lee. Okay. I mean, look, yeah, you guys have you guys have pretty much stepped you stacked an amount against me when I earlier went with the AW press conference, and you, but even then, Punk has said in interviews he finally made his decision, seeing how AW treated Brody Lee after his passing. So Brody Lee was an integral part of bringing CM Punk to the company. That's Maybe look, if he didn't pass away, there could have been other reasons for that to happen. I'm not saying Brody Lee's death was meant to be. I hope nobody listening takes takes my words for that. But I'm just seeing. But I'm just seeing. Just taking from that interview he's had, but also seeing how AW as a, as a company treated Brody Lee when he was sick after his passing. They gave him so much respect. They established a legacy with him with through his wife through the foundation she's a part of, and. Negative one, Brody Lee Jr. becoming a very entertaining, showing that, yes, Brody Lee is gone, 
but his legacy is still continuing in AEW. I mean, all all fair points. Yep. Uh, Brenton, go ahead. As much as I love the debut of the Exalted One, I have yeah. to go with Punk. All righty. So, again, it comes down to me. Here's the thing. Out of anybody in the pro wrestling business, there are only a handful of people that I have never heard anyone say a bad word about. And there are only two that come to mind right now. One is Titus O'Neil. The other one is Brody Lee. And you're right, Ryan. Like Punk has said, the way that AEW handled Brody Lee's passing is part of the reason that he decided to join up with AEW. The way they handled the situation, the way they kept it quiet until after everything had gone on, they didn't share any information. They respected his wife's wishes to keep it private, which is something WWE wouldn't have done. And more importantly than that, they scheduled a tribute show to Brody Lee. And aside from one show in Rochester, New York, where he was meant to originally make his debut, yeah. you know, and have a, have another little tribute night. That's the only thing they've done about it. They've left it alone. Whereas, you know, WWE would have ran that storyline into the ground the same way they did with Eddie Guerrero, the same way they tried base. I, I believe they've done it with dusty Rhodes, the whole dusty classic and everything. Granted, it's been a little bit classier in that regard, yeah. But there's still so many situations that WWE would have been as heartless about in that circumstance. And heck, I'll even say this. When Ringside Collectibles said that they were going to do a uh, combo pack of Brody Lee and Negative One action figures, I went ahead and pre-ordered one. I'll admit it. I've, I'll freely admit it. Because, honestly, I hope that I can meet Negative One someday, get him to sign one for me. You know, again... Not to not to sell or anything, just to have as a keepsake and a remembrance of Brody and everything he meant to the wrestling business. That being said, CM Punk returns after seven long years, bringing an entire arena. That's the thing. They sold out an entire arena in Chicago just on the rumor that Punk would be there. They didn't confirm it. They didn't announce it ahead of time. They didn't deny it. They just said, come by and see. Sold it out in, I think, record time, if I'm not mistaken, at least for that arena. Yeah. Blew the roof off the joint. Not only that, but then he had a banger of a match with Darby Allen in that same town for All Out. And then again, when it comes to everything that was going on with MJF, the thing of it is, is Punk coming back, like so many people were going to be worried. Has he missed a step? Is he still as good on the mic as he used to be? And the answer to all of those is he has not missed a step. He's still great on the mic, and he still draws money. So much love to Brody Lee. Exalted in heaven to be sure. I've got the damn shirt. I've got to go to CM Punk on this one points I, I i figured as much that i would be outvoted on this one but i felt that brody lee's just him being the exalted one yes i mean just the the, the storyline turns we've already mentioned his impact with the dark order um the skits that he's done with them and yeah 
him being one of the more wholesome good the fact dudes. that he was so intense in half of those bits in BTE that everybody else started breaking character in the middle of it. Yeah, and he and like they're they're doing their best, and you've seen John Silver just turn away like all the yeah. time because and that's one of the dudes I rarely. Even during the earlier bits with uh, them in BTE, John Silver never broke. Even when he's doing his thing bit with Anna, he barely breaks. Until this recent, unless people saw this most recent BTE uh, episode 301 where he broke, John Silver barely broke all the time. So seeing him, Reynolds, even Grayson just lose it when he threw papers at Uno was hilarious. Oh, so good. (laughs) Like I, I'm, I'm more than likely once we're done with this, I might go back and watch the Brody tribute show just for grins because it was just so much fun. Yeah. But in any case, uh, we will move on. We have one left in the Sweet 16. Then we move to the Elite Eight. Yes. And then, last but not least, into our final four, and then our winner. Here we go. The last match in the Sweet 16: Kofi Mania versus the Tribal Chief. We start with Brenton on this one. Kofi Mania. Kofi Mania. Ryan. Kofi Mania and Tribal Chief. Yep. So which one? Say Brenton already made I'm gonna say he already made his pick. He said Kofi Mania. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying like if if every time I bring up CM Punk, I know where Brent's gonna go. So if you're gonna bring up Kofi Mania, where do you think I'm gonna go? <laughs> All right, Kofi Mania advances. All due respect to the tribal chief, but yeah, I mean, you want to talk about a significant moment. I mean, we'll get into more, I'm sure, as we go back through here. But all right, here we go into the Elite Eight now. Here we go. We have the Mega Powers versus Simmons beating Vader. Ryan, you're up first. It had a great run. I mean, I'm glad, guys. I'm glad we got as far as we as we got this moment as far as we were able to get it. I mean, but I'm gonna go with the Mega Powers. Okay, Brenton. Mega Powers. All right, Mega Powers advance. Next up, Montreal Screwjob versus the Austin Brett Double Turn. Brenton, you start. Both ones I'm going to get with Montreal because of because it was real. All right, Montreal screw job, Ryan. You know what? No, I'm I'm actually going to go opposite on this one. I, I'm going with the double turn. Oof. Okay. Here's what I will say. As much as I love the that moment, like I talked about earlier, because again, I've said it before and I will say it again. Just seeing Stone Cold pouring blood and refusing to tap is fantastic. But the Montreal screw job gave rise to one of my favorite promos of all time. Who's your daddy, Montreal? So yeah, I'm gonna go with the Montreal screw job for that alone. All right. We move to the ruthless slash PG era. Ben Juan Guerrero at Mania versus Lita and Trish's main event. Ryan, we start with you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to get tougher and tougher from here. Um, we're getting, we're really getting down in it now. Yeah. Hmm. 
I'm actually as hard as I fought, as hard as I fight for Benoit and Eddie, I'm actually gonna go with Trish and Lita for this one. All right. Brenton. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give it to Trish and Lita. Okay, Trish and Lita advance. All right, and now into the AEW bracket. Our last option here, the return of CM Punk versus Kofi Mania. Um, um, I got a feeling I got a feeling we got a hung jury already because I know you're going with James, it all comes down to you, my brother. Yeah. And I know Ryan's gonna go for Kofi. Yeah, James, it's coming down to you. <sighs> you know what? This is actually going to be a slightly easier easier choice than I thought it was going to be. And I'm going to make it simple why. CM Punk's return took seven years. Kofi's journey was 11 years in the making. For, the, for that guy to have been there for that long and to finally get his due. Granted, don't get me wrong, I love CM Punk to death. I just, I literally just got a pro wrestling tease order with the white t shirt and everything with like what, uh, what Ryan's got on the wall behind him. Yeah, I, I have love a flag. I have a flag hanging yeah. above my bed. I love CM Punk. But if yeah, anyone listens is... to me talk about Kofi and his run, and again, you talk about again the, the very first ever African born WWE champion. Seven years in the making for CM Punk's return. Don't get me wrong, but how many hundreds of years in the making for that moment? So for me, like I said, it all comes down to time. And for the fact that it took that long to get that moment and that well-deserved win. And to now see how it's compounded upon itself now with Bobby Lashley and Big E both getting significant title runs. I got to go for Kofi Mania. All right, that brings us down to our final four, gentlemen. This is where the rubber really meets the road. Yep. Here we go. First matchup, the Mega Powers Explode versus the Montreal Screwjob. Ryan, we start with you. Oh, man, this one is not going to be easy. No, it certainly is not. Like they say, the cream always rises to the top. Uh, we might all you know what? On this one. Just, just to see. You no, know, I'm not doing this just to turn stuff up. I'm doing this because I legit love to revisit this more. I'm going with the mega powers breaking up. Okay, mega powers explode. That's one vote. Brenton, Montreal. Montreal, okay. Here's what I will say. The fact is the Mega Powers were fantastic, and it's a great story. Montreal was something that was never meant to happen but did. More importantly than that, it gave rise to the Mr. McMahon character, which unfortunately also led to a lot of copycats and a lot of just authority figure heel storylines that I really did not care for. Not only that, but 
what actually ended up happening with Bret Hart after Montreal going over to WCW? They didn't do jack shit with him. No. At least nothing that made sense. Yeah. The Mega Powers exploding was a self-contained story that ran its course, that made narrative sense, and was fueled even more by Randy Savage's real-life paranoia about his relationship with Liz. So, uh, this is tough. I think just for the fact that, and again, I know I've been talking about long-term ramifications and this and that. Unfortunately for me, I think the long-term ramifications, granted, it's connected to one of my favorite promos of all time, like I mentioned before. But the long-term real-life and on-screen ramifications of the Montreal Screwjob had both their positives and their negatives. The on-screen kayfabe ramifications of the Mega Powers exploding, both guys still went on to have great careers. Both guys still went on to be Hall of Famers. The only real negative impact from that is, I think, you know, the whole real problem was, you know, Randy and Elizabeth's relationship kind of went haywire, but from what yeah. I understand, it was kind of on rocky ground, you know, to begin with. So I've got to go for the mega powers on this one. <laughs> All right. And then we get into our other, our second semifinal matchup. Who will be going up against them, I wonder? Yeah, it is the Trish Lita main event versus Kofi Mania. Brenton, we start with you. You know, I really do love Trish. I really do love Lita. But... 11 years. I have to give it to Kofi. All right, Ryan. Uh, do I even need to ask, or can I just go ahead and pencil? You don't have to ask. Okay. Cool. Here we go. Okay, so this is where it's going to get really interesting. Your final two contenders. for I will say this. As much as, as big of a, a deal as the Trish Lita main event was, there was prior to all of that, some very high-level women's wrestling, when you look at the time period of the Fabulous Moolah, Wendy Richter, all of those kind. There were there was well-respected women's wrestling at one point. But them doing it there was significant. And let, let us not downplay that moment whatsoever. But now we come down to it. Here it is. The next powers explode versus Kofi Mania for the title of greatest moment in wrestling history. Brenton, we will start with you. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to give it to Kofi Mania. Wow. <laughs> Damn, oh. you got me with that swerve. <laughs> All right. And Ryan. say the earlier point between mega powers when when we were deciding between that and the screw job all great points too and i'm going to do and i'm keeping this one i am going to keep personal bias aside kofi as well 
during this 11-year journey of a career, somebody who could have been champion three or four times over, either at the time when you had the W Championship and the World Championship. He could have been a champion, a multi-time champion over. Um, and, but at the, but also, it, it the Kofi Mania moment, it was at a either lightning or it was just right time and right place during that gauntlet match that got the crowd on Kofi and it was just momentum kept going and going to where you saw the crowd uh, while the crowd was right and wrong to boo wrestlers that weren't Kofi getting in that main spot at that moment at WrestleMania a great emotional match something done within like six to eight weeks for Kofi like because it encountered two, no, 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 three months. Because it encountered three separate pay per views. Yeah, Elimination Chamber, Fast Lane, and WrestleMania. WrestleMania. So it's something I can't look past because seeing that journey done in three months worth of story, to, four four months, three four pay per views, four pay per views. Okay, but even then, Kofi has built an incredible career. Even though he was around the mid card, he was a tag team specialist. But he did a great career. He has solidified himself as a great wrestler. So him winning this championship, it's not something where you can say it's earned or it's well-deserved or something where you can say it's about time. It checks all three of those boxes. So I'm going to say Kofi Mania. All right. My vote is irrelevant at this point. Wow. Okay. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, again, there could be a little bit of recency bias in with this a little bit, and I know there's going to be a bunch of people in the comments saying, oh, you guys are just being woke. Blah, blah, blah. No, no we, we gave the Mega Powers all the respect in the world. You know, and, and whoever says to... that, you really need to look up what the word woke means and shut mm -hmm. up. Oh, you know there's going to be somebody out there who's going to do it. But yeah, the point is, is Kofi Mania, 11-year-long journey, just well-deserved. Again, the first ever African-born WWE champion in history, you know, throughout the entire history of not just the WWE, but the World Wrestling Federation, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. It was it was a huge moment. And arguably, to some, but not to us, the greatest wrestling moment of all time. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you agree with us, let us know down in the comments section below. If you disagree with us, let us know down in the comment section below, but let's keep it civil. Let's prove that not all wrestling fans are just egotistical, testosterone-fueled a-holes. Well, with that being said, we are going to wrap it up here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, I have been your host of the most, the one and only James Shimo. On behalf of my co-hosts, Brenton McPherson and Ryan Payne, we bid you adieu. Thank you for joining us. We will see you in the next one. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell already. See you.